0: The Bible Study Podcast, episode 649. Today, The Bible Study Podcast has a special episode, which is a sermon about temptation. Welcome to The Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I again preached last Sunday at my church, Bethel Lutheran Church in Cupertino. You can see that on the video at bethelcupertino.org if you are interested. But I'm going to cheat again and do that sermon as this episode. But first, I want to read you the three different sections of the Bible that I used for that sermon, which come from the lectionary. And when I say lectionary, my particular tradition, as with many traditions in Christianity, use a particular set series of lessons on a particular Sunday, and that's called the lectionary. And this particular Sunday, the lessons were about temptation. The first one was from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and 3, 1 through 7. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say, you shall not eat from any of the trees of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves." The second lesson was from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment followed, one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification." If because of one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to the condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And then the last section was from Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me." Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. One thing before we get started that I'd like to dissuade you of is the rumor that The church council or the executive committee or somebody said, hey, we've got a lot of verses about temptation and sin. Who knows a lot about temptation and sin? Let's get that Christensen guy. (laughs) As far as I know, that is not the conversation that happened. But that is, in fact, what we are talking about today is temptation. And I hope you noticed that theme as all three sections of the scripture were read today, from Genesis... The fall in the Garden of Eden, from Matthew, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, and then Romans, which ties the two together. But we're going to start in a garden. We're going to start in paradise. And we may have a little trouble picturing paradise, so I'd like you to help me. Would you close your eyes, please? And I want you to think of what paradise looks like to you. And then, as you think of things, could you say what you're thinking of? Green grass. Okay. Green grass, mountains. What else do I have? The ocean. The ocean, flowers. Sunshine. Sunshine. Excellent. You, You can open your eyes, or if that was restful, you can keep your eyes closed for the rest of the sermon. There is no judging. But... And I think those are great, and I think those are what we picture when we picture paradise, and I think they are part of the picture, but I think we're missing something very important. I think we need to understand that as Eve is standing there about to be approached by the serpent, when she is in paradise, she is very aware that she is married to the nicest, smartest guy in the whole world. Adam has never even looked at another woman. (laughs) He feels like she is made for him. He is nicest. She is the nicest person. They have never had any trouble with their in-laws. And more than that, each of them has an ongoing relationship with God, the Father who created them. We are told that they walked with him in the cool of the evening. And so they have these relationships. And so when we talk about paradise, we think about the green or the ocean or the mountains and such. And that is cool, but that's not what was lost. This is what was lost as a lie is about to come into the world. So, so far as we know, this lie that the serpent, and let's not be confused by the fact that it's a talking snake, this is Satan who has come to tempt Eve, the father of lies, tells what is the first at least recorded lie in Scripture. The serpent comes to Eve and says, Didn't God say you could eat from any of the trees? And Eve says, No, that is not what God said. God said we could eat from any of the trees except the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if we eat that, we will die. And here comes lie number two. You won't die. Now, in Eve's defense, Eve has probably not heard a lot of lies or maybe any lies before. She has never had Adam come home and have lipstick on his collar and try and explain it. No collars, no lipstick. She has never looked at a friend and said, do these fig leaves make me look fat? She's not even wearing fig leaves, and she has no friends other than that. She has probably not heard a lie, and so she has to decide at this moment a very important question. Does she believe the serpent, or does she believe God the Father who loves her? And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say if you are presented with that choice, there is one right answer for who is telling the truth, and it's not the snake. (laughs) But that is what she decides. She decides to believe the serpent, And not God. And so she looks at this, and I want to say apple, but it doesn't say apple. It's a piece of fruit. It could be a kumquat. It is most likely something that we don't know. And she looks at this with fresh eyes, and she says, You know, I never noticed before, but it sure looks tasty. And it's sure good-looking, and it's going to make me like God. And so she picks it. And she brings it to Adam, and (laughs) in Genesis, Adam doesn't say anything. Adam doesn't say, whoa, Eve, no, bad idea, we were told not to do that. Adam is a guy, it's quite possible he hadn't been paying attention when the instructions were given. (laughs) We don't know, but it's nothing recorded that he says. We do know that shortly after this, when they're caught by God, he's going to put the blame on someone else. He's going to look to God and say, hey, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. So really, if you look at it from a certain point of view, God, it's your fault. But that will not fly. They have been disobedient and death comes into the world. And paradise is over. And when we go to that section in Romans Paul ties that temptation with what Jesus did. And when we talk about Jesus did, Jesus' obedience is one of the words that Paul uses. And the first place where that obedience is tested here is where we're about to go is Jesus in the wilderness. And it later will be tested, of course, on the cross, but it's first tested here in the wilderness, and it's very, very, very important what Jesus does here in the wilderness. Because if Jesus succumbs to temptation, when he dies on the cross, he dies for him. But if he can resist temptation, when he dies on the cross, he dies for us. And Paul, when he talks about Jesus in the book of Romans elsewhere, he calls him the last Adam and the second man. And so we're going to get a do-over. Jesus is going to get to do that temptation, that original potential sin, over again. But he is not in a garden. He is in the wilderness. And if you don't know, this is what the wilderness looks like. This is a picture from Masada looking out towards the Dead Sea in Israel today. And so when we say the wilderness, we're talking about a desert where there are rocks, there is sand, and there is sun, and there is little else. And Jesus is sent to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he fasts. And the 40 days number, we have to bring that up, that is a number that reminds us of several things in the Old Testament. It reminds us of the 40 days that Moses spent on the Mount of God to get the Ten Commandments. It reminds us of the 40 years that the people of Israel will wander in the wilderness. It reminds us of the 40 days that Elijah spent journeying to the mountain of God. And, of course, it reminds us of the 40 days of Lent where we find ourselves now. Uh, 40 is a number in the Bible that means a very long time. Uh, With my apologies to one member of a small group that I was used to be in that I said that 40 meant a very long time, not realizing that one of them had just had a 40th birthday. But that's what 40 means. And so he's there a long time. He is long enough there that most of us would have not just been hungry and famished, as the Bible says Jesus says, We would have been well past hangry. Uh, you tell us what to do with these rocks, we would think of something else. But Jesus is out there, he is hungry, and at this point, 40 days in, Satan appears to him and he says, no problem. Just take these rocks and turn them into bread. You're hungry, so eat But Jesus says no. Because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. In other words, yes, I'm hungry. And yes, I have needs. And yes, I have desires. And yes, I have urges. But they're not as important as my relationship with the Father. So no. So then Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and says, jump. God will send his angels to catch you. Wouldn't that be cool? Now, there are high places in the wilderness. In fact, I took you a picture from one, right? He could have taken him to someplace in the wilderness and said, jump. But he didn't. He took him to the temple. What am I going to find at the temple? People, lots and lots and lots of people. Jesus, make a show, make a spectacle. Think what would happen if you jumped and angels caught you. Think how many followers you would get. And I mean that in the traditional sense. Uh, Might get a few Instagram likes as well, but basically it's, you're going to start your public ministry, do it with a bang. Do it with a show. See how they like you, jump. Jump. And Jesus says no, because the scripture also says, do not put your God to the test. In other words, yes, it might look cool. Yes, people might react. But it's more important, my relationship with God the Father My relationship with God the Father is more important than even the number of followers or Facebook likes I will get. And so Satan takes him to a tall mountain and shows him all of the countries of the world, a really, really, really tall mountain, and says, all of this is yours, no pretense this time, if you fall down and worship me. Now... Does Satan have all of the countries of the world to give? Jesus doesn't say no. How did he get control of the countries, the people, the cities that they're looking at? Well, he got that when Adam and Eve back in the garden exchanged their relationship with God for a piece of fruit. He got that because we gave it to him. And so he says to Jesus, but I'll give it back. All you have to do is worship me. Now he may not know that the real plan is the cross, but this plan sounds easier but Jesus says never. get away from me Satan, because the scripture says worship the God, worship God in him only. This is not going to happen. And so Jesus successfully, Resist the temptations that Jesus, that Satan throws at him. And I think it's useful for us to look at what mechanisms Jesus used to do that. And I think there are two that bear some attention. The first one is obvious, and the first one is Scripture, right? He says, Scripture, quote Scripture back. And I'm going to give you two bonus Scriptures today. There will be no additional charge for these at the offering. And the first one is basically elsewhere in the New Testament. In Hebrews, we are told that we have a great high priest who, like us, has been tempted but did not sin. And so when we are tempted, we know that we can go to Jesus and say, we know you were tempted, you found a way out, help and that he is sympathetic to where we find ourselves. So that's the first scripture I would offer. The second one is I think possibly one of the first scriptures I intentionally memorized and that is 1 Corinthians 10:13 which basically tells us that we won't be able that we will never be tempted beyond our ability to endure that within every temptation God will provide a way out. And that is a scripture that I have clung to that I have called on and I have called on probably less than I should so the first thing that we can do is scripture is something that can help us know what pleases God and know what doesn't and decide the right things to do but I cheated about the second thing I skipped something when I did the first two temptations of Jesus in the wilderness what did I skip do you know What did Satan say to Jesus? He said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, then jump. And I skipped over that. But we need to put that in context because Jesus wasn't just doing carpentry work when he went into the 40 days in the wilderness. He was coming from someplace else and where he was coming from was the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, just a little further north of the Dead Sea, out there in that wilderness area. And in that baptism, you may remember that we saw the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove, and a voice from heaven say, this is my beloved Son. Little family portrait of the Trinity right there at Jesus' baptism. So what do you mean by if you are the Son of God? If you are the Son of God, maybe Satan just wasn't paying attention. Jesus is the Son of God, and he doesn't need to prove it to Satan. But when we choose... What we're doing, I said when I preached in January, that every decision we make decides who we will be in the future. But every decision we make also decides whose we will be and whose we are. And so Jesus didn't need to prove that he was the Son of God, but he knew he was the beloved Son of God, and he knows that we are called to be beloved children of God, called back into that relationship that was paradise, that was broken in the garden and restored on the cross. Amen. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, do you trust me? Because together we can do this.